Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsipornchai. Uh, well, brother, it's good to see you again for this episode. Uh, our last episode, I always love having Phil Johnson on. He's full of wisdom, full of grace, just an incredibly smart guy um, with uh, always has great things to say. Yeah, he um, and, and for those that are listening, he, um, he he doesn't he likes to just shoot from the hip. Um, you know, a lot of other uh, people that come on. Um, usually want to know ahead of time what are some of the questions what are we going to talk about which is uh, i would want the same thing um but he said yeah let's just let's just shoot from the hip so everything you hear is just him responding to questions that he's hearing from us for the first time yeah well i i found out something new about phil this last episode he's almost 70 years old um the, the he's ancient and he looks so good. I mean, he, he yeah. I, I could easily have pegged him in his, you know, mid to late 50s. And so anyway, um, right, right. If you're listening and you haven't heard that episode, uh, it's the one before this one, I think 114. Go listen to it. You'll be blessed by that. Well, um, it, last week we had a good episode. This episode, I think, is going to be equally good and incredibly important. Uh, so we're going to ask the the, the question, um, you know, what does it mean to speak truth in love? And that's such a huge topic today because the word love uh, is undoubtedly the most abused, misused, misunderstood word in our current culture, I think. I don't think there's any other um, word out there that's used and even used against Christians uh, than than this word love, right? We hear it all the time, yeah. and um, it, oftentimes even uh, people refer to the well. You're supposed to speak truth in love, right? Uh, the the biblical verse. Even we hear that from unbelievers, right? Uh, trying to use use our text against us, and the problem is that uh, their definition of love and God's definition of love are two worlds apart. Yeah, the definitions of words matter, and in in this culture today, we see a lot of just redefining of words. Even uh, someone who's not a believer, who's uh, just trying to be logical and, and rational and, and trying to stick to, to word meanings, um, will know that. For instance, uh, racism has kind of taken on a new form. Um, but you're right, uh, when we look at the Bible, there's a lot of words, including love. Um, love today has uh, become something very subjective. Um, it's very feelings and and um and and emotions based right uh, but when you read about love in the bible you don't see that and then not only that but we're talking about speaking the truth and love and truth has also gone away from being something that is objective to something that is very subjective you have your truth and you have my truth so you put these words together speaking the truth in love and now you've got a completely different um, view uh, of what that means from a biblical standpoint versus what it means from uh, from the worldly standpoint and we as believers we want to seek out to, to we want to seek to understand what did god mean by this it doesn't matter what the world means doesn't matter what each person means what did god intend when he had paul write down these words 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think so we need to understand when the world uses the term love, again, you hit the nail on the head. They're speaking of something that's that's subjective, right? Their definition is essentially rooted in emotionalism, in feelings, Right. And so you, you you hear this kind of thing all the time. Well, uh, a man meets a woman and he fell in love. Right. Air quotes. Yeah. Um, and they get married because he fell in love. And then a couple of years later, they get divorced. And why? Well, because they're no longer, quote unquote, in love. Well, why is that? Well, it's because their understanding of love is is rooted in a feeling, right? So you wake up one morning and you just don't feel good about the person you married, and so you think, okay, well, uh, we're not in love, and so let's just get a divorce. Um, that that's the, how the world operates when it speaks yeah. of love. It's very subjective, right? Um, what one person loves, another person doesn't have to love. Truth you mentioned has become subjective. We see that just in the phrase "my truth" or "your yeah. truth." Right. Um, well, there's no such thing. There's just truth, right? Uh, there, there's just truth. You can either believe it or you, you can reject it. Um, and whether you believe it or reject it really makes no difference either. It, it's the truth is still the truth. Uh, and, and so w- we can't get caught up in the world's definition of love. And I think that has happened uh, to a lot of Christians, right? Um, I, I mean, I've, I've met Christians who struggled during the whole uh, COVID stuff um, with making their own medical decisions and made decisions that they didn't necessarily want to um, want. They, they didn't want to make, but they made them because they were afraid that it wasn't loving because that's where yeah. the pressure was being put. And these are, you know, lovely people who were trying to do the right thing, who maybe didn't have as good of a grasp on some parts of scripture as, as they could have, or as they should have, um, but that's not really the point, right? The, the point is they wanted to do the right thing by God, uh, and because they didn't understand the difference between the world's idea of love and God's idea of love, right? They made choices that they, they wouldn't have wanted to make um, and that they didn't have to make. Uh, and so, and, and we see this creeping in in even, e- even worse ways than that, right? Ways that are uh, e- even far more vile, I think. Um, but you know, in reality, you go back to the husband and wife example of falling in love. You can love someone when you don't feel in love. I mean, we all get this, right? I mean, yeah, you, right. you've loved your child when you didn't feel very happy towards them, right? Yeah. Uh, you've loved your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your spouse when you didn't necessarily have all those uh, giddy, happy feelings. Well, that's because love isn't dependent upon those things. And so we, we need to understand God's definition of love um, before we can really even answer the question, what does it mean to speak truth in love? We need to know what what does the in love part mean, right? What what does love mean there? Right. And I, I remember even before becoming a believer, and I became a believer later in life. I was about 35 years old. But um, until then, um, I was operating very much with the worldly view of love. And I remember when you think about for instance, marriage and um, and that lifelong union, um, we've been told, and, and I think everyone in the world has been told this at one time or another, Christian or not, um, the feeling wears off over time, um, but the, the devotion and the loyalty needs to stay there, right? And, and that was from people who believed in marriage as a lifelong um, as a lifelong union, even if they weren't not if they weren't necessarily Christian. 
Um, and so we we understand that even in a secular sense that there's something that has to outlast uh, just that that feeling of of being um, you know being on cloud nine and and uh, just you know and there's that phase the honeymoon phase is over right uh, people use that phrase often to describe the fact that you know you've gotten past um, that uh, initial almost kind of infatuation with one another and now you've gotten into the part of life where you're gonna have to deal with real life right. And so we we understand that now that for those who have been married for a long time, um, you you have come to learn that yeah the initial infatuation infatuation wears off, but after that there has to be that that loyalty, um, that that desire to do what is good and right for each other, and then uh, you know the feelings may go in and out, but the that the longer you're with each other, and especially for believers, the more we understand God's view of love, the stronger that relationship becomes. So for an unbeliever, that sounded kind of depressing to me that that feeling would wear away but as a believer now i understand that um that it can actually be strengthened and become much stronger than anything that the world has um that, that the world was kind of carried away with just with that word yeah you know it's interesting i had a little bit of a back and forth with uh, some lady on twitter recently um and she was just so hyper focused on um jesus's commandment so much so that uh, when I posted the actual gospel out of Romans, uh, she said, "No, thank you. I'll just follow Jesus' command." So I mean, clearly, I'm talking to an un- clearly I'm talking to an unbeliever oh, that's here. Sad, yes, yes, um, yes. And and oh, really and truly, it was sad. And I spent some time, you know, praying that God would be merciful and save her. But um, you know, she pointed to um, what she called the greatest commandment, and she got she got part of it right. Uh, which is where the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, right? And they say, what's the right. greatest commandment of the law? And he says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, you know, and then the second one is like it, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And and so she rejected the actual gospel and said, she'll just follow that. Um, all of the theological errors in that conversation aside, it's really interesting um, that so oftentimes that would get pointed to, and I would agree that um, what Jesus was was saying was a, a perfect demonstration of what love is. Uh, it's just the, the problem is that most people don't realize, essentially, he just summarized the Decalogue. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, really and truly. So it, it, the, the first uh, the first four commandments, right, are all about loving God. The second uh, set of commandments, the last six are about loving our neighbor. And it's very interesting because effectively what Jesus said to the Pharisees uh, when they said, which is the greatest law, he basically said, all of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, he just summarized him, right? Um, and yeah. you go through and the, the Ten Commandments, it's incredible. We just finished a series about that. The, the Ten Commandments so demonstrate love, and I think we don't uh, often view it that way, but um, if you love God, you're not going to have any other gods before him. If you love God, you're not going to take his name in vain, right? Um, if you love God, you're not going to have any idols, make any yeah. images. If you love God, you, you, you're going to honor a Sabbath. Um, and, and then if you love your neighbor, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to murder them. You're going to honor your mother and father. They're also your neighbors. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to steal. And you go on down the list, right? Perfect example of how to love. And what's really interesting is, you know what you don't find in the Ten Commandments? Not in a single place, a feeling. Yeah. Right? Now, that's not, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and Jesus Christ said multiple times, if you love me, you obey my commandments. 
Um, so we we hear that often when he was up in the upper room. And um, while love, we we understand in the Bible. Now let me let me let me back up a little bit. I'm looking at Mark chapter 10 as an example. So Mark chapter 10 is the rich young ruler. And we know this story. Jesus Christ is approached by the rich young ruler and and he asks him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That sounds like a great question. That sounds like the, that's, hey, evangelism 101. That's exactly where you want to get a person. Um, Go ahead and just uh, give them the sinner's prayer, have them recite it, and boom, they're saved. And, uh, you know, Jesus goes on to recite the second half of the Decalogue, uh, do not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, all these things. And he said, well, those things I've done from my youth up. And then in Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 21, we read, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. Um, so we're not saying that love is devoid of any kinds of feelings, but we have to understand here that when it says Jesus felt a love for him, this is still not, I would argue, this is still not the worldly love. Um, he felt a love for him, but it was a love that wanted him to do the right thing. Um, it, it was a love that uh, that caused him to to really grieve because it goes on to say, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who um, who owned much property. And so Jesus felt a love for him, wanting him to do the right thing, wanting him to recognize um, his need for for Christ and to give his life over. But what Jesus noticed in his heart was a coveting, a kind of greediness and and coveting and and idolatry of his own possessions. And so even if you want to point to that and say that Jesus felt a love, yes, it can be a feeling, but it has to be a feeling that is driven by the truth of God's word. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we can have many different feelings, right, uh, alongside love, but we've got to understand that love in and of itself is not most often what what would in honesty be infatuation uh, when we're talking about, you know, know, uh, relationships and things like that. And so you can have a feeling of happiness. um, And while, while you're considering love, but those two things aren't, aren't inseparable, right? They're not one in the same. And and so we've got to, we've got to recognize that. And, and, it, you know, so it's interesting. You go to Scripture, so we ask the question, okay, we looked at the Ten Commandments. We see that those are clearly ways to love. None of those things are feelings, um, but that's not even the most explicit place in Scripture we have. We are actually told what love is, right. um, and it's very interesting. I have – I don't know if I've ever seen someone point to this when they're making an argument for feeling-based love quote unquote right you go to first corinthians and here we have what is love Mm -hmm. right and it's interesting you go through and you read so first corinthians 13 we all know the passage four through seven love is patient love is kind and is not jealous love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly it does not seek its own it is not provoked it does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I, let's just just consider that list for a moment. Again, you, you know what you don't find anywhere in this list? A feeling. Yeah. Love is patient. Well, patience is an act of will. It takes an act of will to be long-suffering with people. It's not a feeling at yeah. all. It's a choice. Love is kind. Again, kindness is, is a choice. Right, kindness means to be gracious to one another or to grant something as a favor. 
to someone. It's an action. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. Love is not jealous. Of course, we're talking about the, a sinful type of jealousy. Again, it's a condition of the heart. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. Love doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. I mean, this has to do with how you view yourself. Um, I mean, really, this is an issue of humility, how you view yourself in relation to others, not a feeling, right? And all through the rest of these things, doesn't act unbecomingly, not a feeling, right. doesn't seek its own, not a feeling, isn't provoked. Again, an act of will, maintain your temper, not a feeling, Um just all the way through, bears all things, that's a choice, believes all things, it's a choice, hopes all things, a choice, endures all things, a choice. Again, time and time again, what you don't see anywhere in Scripture is defining love by the way you feel, right? Exactly. And it's not only not a feeling, but it is not dependent upon a feeling either yeah um, so just in that example that we saw from jesus and then as we look at this we keep both of them in mind um the the, the feeling of love that jesus have was not dependent upon the circumstance and and here when you look at these things even if you don't feel the the kind of worldly love that that the world often falls into these are all things that you can still do and, and this is how you express love now what's interesting is that in verse six says does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth you could argue that rejoicing um is from the heart it, it is feelings based and yet look at what we're what we're seeing here it does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rather rejoices with the truth so this is not to discount the role of feelings that were to become robots um unfeeling and cold yeah. Um, but rather, we, we want to do things God's way, which is this. Uh, the world often leads with their feelings and emotions and then lets the truth be defined by that. That is exactly why we live in a world today where truth is now subjective, my truth, your truth, because we allow our emotions to get in front of us, our emotions and our feelings, and then we define our truth to match what basically we think makes us happy and and this uh, addresses and explains a lot of the worldly phenomena that we have around us the um the, the lgbtq movement the gender fluidity and all that which is really just fool's gold but here what we're reminded of in addition in addition to love being patient kind and all those other things it does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth. So even as you take those definitions from 1 Corinthians 13, you cannot divorce it from what is actually true in the eyes of God. Yeah, and again, and we'll say it several times, we're not saying that feelings are inherently bad. God's created us as emotional beings. We're supposed to have emotions, but here's the difference. Love is always rooted in truth. Yeah. Feelings have to be subjected to and put under the truth. Right, because our feelings are uh, still in the fallen man, and so we can have you know sinful feelings. But there's no such thing as as sinful love. We're talking about love as that which is true, as that which is defined by God. If it's right. loving, it's loving. It's always rooted in truth. But my feelings are not always rooted in truth. Right? I can be unrighteously anger angry. Um, I can, you know, we we can lust, we can, and feelings are always involved in those things. And so we're not saying that feelings are bad, but we are saying that they're not love, right? And so when I, when when we're doing what is loving, right, we should experience appropriate feelings. Um, and then sometimes when we're doing what's loving, we do it out of obedience and because it's right, even yeah. when our feelings don't 
match it, right? Um, when I'm having selfish feelings, I'm tired. This person's been irritating me, and yet they need something, and I'm 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 going to provide that need because I should, right? That is being loving, though my attitude is being poor, right? Um, and, and Jesus makes this point. You 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 stated it earlier uh, from John fourteen fifteen. I mean, here's Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says, "If you love me." you will keep my commandments. I mean, it's just very interesting. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll feel good about me. If yeah. you love me, um, you'll, you'll always be happy and joyful. Um, no, he says, if you love me, that will be demonstrated by your obedience. That, that's an act of love. Um, and, and so obedience isn't a feeling, right? And sometimes you've experienced this, I've experienced this, you know, we want to be in the word of God and we've developed a discipline of that but i don't always feel like reading my bible right right and and yet i love god's word um as a whole i absolutely want to be in the scripture but there are just times where i feel tired or you know i'm irritated or whatever the case is and i will still sit down and read my bible uh but because it's not feeling based right and then that's just that's that's human that's the world we live in right um and so we persevere through those things we don't let those feelings dictate uh, our obedience yeah and the great thing about um jesus commandments i mean he he says if you love me you'll obey my commandments he says that multiple times up in the upper room discourse and that's from john chapter chapters 14 through 16 and 17 being the um the high priestly prayer but i'm looking at john chapter 15 and uh, and, and he says this in verse 10 if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love um just as i've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love um, so he, right in the same sentence, talks about obedience and love once again in the same sentence. But then in verse 11, he, here's the here's the wonderful promise of God. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So we're, we're, again, to reemphasize the point, it's not that feelings and emotions are completely unimportant and should be totally ignored. But the promise of Scripture is that the one who actually obeys God and abides in the love of god is the one who is going to experience the joy of our lord jesus christ and jesus is saying this um in a discourse um, where he was actually grieving that his hour was coming upon him that he was going to have to go to the cross and, and die on the cross and then i think of the example of the apostle paul in in, in philippians chapter 4 um, and of course, we know Philippians 4.13, the much uh, abused verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, but earlier on in verse 11, he, he said, I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And, and again, in, in this case, we're not talking about love, but we are talking about an inner disposition where we feel at peace, we feel the joy of Christ, no matter what circumstances God brings to us. Um, but all of it is rooted on in a trust in who God is, the truth that we know uh, about God, the promises that he has made to us, the, the commandments that he has called us to follow, and, and basically the process in which we become more like Christ. Um, I, I can say this, that since becoming a believer, I have felt greater joy and greater contentment than at any other time um, before becoming a believer. And, and, and and really becoming a believer it wasn't driven by that but it was really just coming to know the lord jesus christ um, as my own lord and savior coming to know the word of god seeing just the awesome works of god just as he testifies uh, about it in scripture but also as you see it unfolding in real life 
um, there is nothing uh, that, that beats it. And I would not trade that for the world. Yeah. And, and you have to, when Paul talks about all of those trials and tribulations he goes through and how he's content and he finds joy, I, I mean, I, our goal is should, should be to want that joy. I, yeah. I mean, we're, this is different than happiness, clearly, right? I mean, happiness is just being content with the circumstance that you're in, in the sense that you enjoy it, you want it. it it's, it's what you, right, are, are, are liking, what you're wanting. Certainly, while Paul was getting shipwrecked and being stoned and being whipped, there was nothing in him that just really desired that, um, right? And yet, he was content and he had a joy that superseded the circumstance. And that's really what you're talking about and, and what we're looking for. But the world doesn't have that joy uh, because they don't have Christ you can't have that joy without Christ. And so, this is, I mean, one of the reasons it's so important for Christians to understand the difference, right, between what true love is, uh, the world's definition versus God's definition, the difference between happiness and joy, right, yeah, um, right. And, and those sorts of things. And, it, you know, we've been talking about how you can love and it not necessarily match your emotions. I mean, just give you one example that every parent understands well, at least those who love their children, disciplining your children, right? Yeah. A, a, a loving parent is never going to enjoy having to discipline their children, and yet they do it out of love for the sake of the child. Uh, right. Hebrews twelve six. I mean, we it says for the Lord, uh, for those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and He scourges every son whom He receives. Right, um, and, and so because of God's love for us, at times He disciplines us for our good, um, and and so I mean, there's just a positive case with a negative emotion, right? Just to, again, demonstrate yeah. that the two don't always match. And so we shouldn't be right. looking uh, for that. Now, we've been talking about truth and love. So this comes from Ephesians, right? This is where people pull this from. Uh, I know you, you, the last book you preached through was Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. And so this is where people are getting, well, you need to speak the truth in love. And most often, as we've been saying, when people say that, what they mean is that means you have to tell me what I want to hear, right? right? If right. you're speaking the truth in love, then I'm going to like what you're saying. You're going to use the right tone. You're going to affirm my position or my view. I think we pretty clearly demonstrated that is not true love. Um, but that's kind of where this is coming from. Now, what's very interesting is when people bring that verse up, the context is totally forgotten. Yes. Right. So it's in chapter four. In chapter four, really talking about the unity of the body of Christ, really. Um, and then even the uh, more immediate context is very often ignored. And Paul's going to, in the next chapter, he's going to bring up walking in love, right? So he starts chapter four yeah, with, right. Uh, right. All this is how the Christian is meant to walk, a reflection of God's character and nature. Um, and it, we have this here. Now, so it's interesting. I want to just read the, the verse uh, above it and after it. Listen to the context of speaking truth in love. Uh, so chapter 4, 14 says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, we just got done talking about uh, 
those gifted men God's given to the church, right? Yeah, Pastors, right. evangelists, teachers. And and now he's talking about maturity. And so this is in the context of speaking truth to one another in such a way that you're being matured doctrinally, yeah. no longer tossed here and there by different winds of doctrine. That's an important context. Yes, it is. Um, when verse 14 starts off with as a result, and of course, we know verse 15 is where it says speaking the truth in love. So verse 14 says as a result. Well, as a result of what? Well, going up even earlier in verse 11, it says, and he, being Jesus Christ, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And we know that apostles and prophets um, are, are no longer functioning today. And verse 12, it, it says, though, that these other roles, the evangelists, pastors and teachers, what are they there for? They're for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, who are the saints? That's basically all believers. Um, equipping, that is not physical equipping, that is spiritual equipping. The more you know about the Word of God, the more you are equipped. And of course, we understand that the equipping culminates in chapter 6 when he introduces the armor of God. So all the equipping of the saints for the work of service is to help build up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to be to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we as a body of Christ are to continually mature um, Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and 29 says that God, all things come together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose but in verse 29 says we are predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ and this is what I really see in verse 13 that we are all as a body of Christ being built up and, and we're growing into maturity so that we as a body become more and more like Christ as we function as the body of Christ so then verse 14 as a result says we are no longer children and this is all doctrinally based as you mentioned we are not being we're not easily led away we're not easily deceived but rather verse 15 speaking the truth in love so in the contrast uh, with the contrast of verse 14 saying we're not children being led away by by all these philosophies false doctrines the trickery of men craftiness whatever have you we're speaking the truth in love what is that truth that's the truth of the scriptures that the um that the pastors and teachers are tasked with equipping the body so you're speaking the truth in love to help one another avoid these traps to to be more like christ and to walk in the love that that god has has defined for us not simply what we necessarily feel yeah and and then he goes on to reinforce that right in verse yep. 17 he says so this i say in other words in light of what i've just told you now this thing yeah. he says and affirm together with the lord and so he, he he even brings in the lord right here as uh, to to add weight to his statement he says that you no longer walk just as the gentiles also walk now he's talking about back uh, uh, really a reference back to the very first verse yeah. walking in a manner that's worthy of the calling he's talking about an obedient life yeah. so speaking the truth in love right it, it really centers around speaking god's truth to one another in such a way that it calls for our active obedience to christ that's what it is that's yeah. the context of this passage so to to use it in any other way is to rip it kicking and screaming as some would say out of its context 
Yeah, and exactly. And like we said, the culmination of this is the armor of God. Uh, and the armor of God is meant to help resist the schemes of Satan to protect ourselves against his flaming arrows, to to be able to walk um, in a manner that uh, that glorifies him, that is worthy of the calling by which we've been called. That is the central commandment of, of Ephesians, and it culminates with that armor of God that includes also the sword of the spirit, which is, um, which is the word of God. Um, so all of this, when you look at Ephesians together, Paul is really making the strong case that the salvation that we have enjoyed, the redemption, and all the um, all the wonderful blessings um, in Ephesians chapter one, two, and three, and of course in chapter one, he says we've been blessed with every blessing from the heavenly places. All of that is meant to motivate a walk. Now you said something earlier. Um, you that I do want to reach back to um, that we may not always feel it. Um, and sometimes we just have to obey knowing it that it's the right thing to do. Um, now, that's not the same thing as legalism. Okay, now legalism is there, there's no motivation, um, there, there's no focus on Christ. It's just obey, 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 obey. Um, and we are admitting that there are times where we're not going to feel like we want to obey, but we obey because we know it's the right thing for us to do. And it's just like, and you use the earlier analogy of a parent to a child, which I think is a great analogy. I think parents understand this a lot. You know, you don't always, you're not always going to feel in the mood to serve your child by taking him to school or uh, go, helping go and going through his homework or doing a Bible study with him. But you do those things because you know it's the right thing to do. So even if you don't feel it, maybe you feel like you'd rather just lay back in bed or maybe just um, you know do something that, uh, you know, have a cup of coffee or go out with some friends. You may be feeling a lot of things other than your duty to your child, but what keeps you going is knowing that this is important. Um, and, and for us as believers, a great example would be the Sunday morning service. Uh, I would be lying if I said that every single Sunday morning, um, I had the greatest amount of love and affection and and excitement and enthusiasm to get into the Sunday service and to worship God. Um, the, the truth is, there are some Sundays where I feel like I'm dragging my feet. But, uh, but you know that you need to be there. You know that you, you absolutely need it. Now, of course, we as pastors, we have to be there. But even before I was a pastor, I knew that the, what, what I needed the most on Sunday, if I didn't feel like going, was I needed to go. Because a lot of times when I, I went, first of all, I know it's good for my soul, but I also know that God's going to bless that. And a lot of times I'm going to hear what I need to hear. I'm going to come across people I need to see. I'm going to be encouraged by words I need to be encouraged by. So th this is all to say that when you have a, a love that God defines, it is not only um, it is not only um, um, re realized through the obedience uh, to God, but it also helps drive us towards obedience even when we feel like not obeying. Yeah, amen. And you know, all of this—if people haven't brought this together yet and 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 gotten it—love consists of actions, right? I mean, we've talked about how it's not a feeling, but love is inseparable from action. If you can define if your definition of love doesn't include actions it's not a biblical definition of love i mean ultimately love consists of actions in another person's best interest regardless of feelings involved that, that's what it is um yeah. and, and so it is in fact unloving right um to agree with someone's worldview if that worldview is detrimental to them it is actually unloving yeah. Um, to 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 help make someone comfortable uh, in their sin, as though it's acceptable before God, is 
an incredibly unloving thing to do. Um, n- now, the the world hates when they're corrected. The, the The gospel is offensive, right? We understand the the message of the cross is offensive to those who uh, are are still in their sin. It's not that we should try to be offensive, but the most right. loving thing we could do is call people to repent of their sin and turn to Christ. And we've said that over and over. And it's just it's interesting how much pushback you get, even from professing Christians sometimes, um, yeah. over that. But but that's what's true because love consists of actions in another person's best interest. Um, and so we don't agree, right, with sinful lifestyles. Um, it, we don't want to make people, we want them to be uncomfortable in that because we, we want something of the weight of conviction to be there uh, when we proclaim the gospel to them, when they call them to repent. Uh, people need to know. Right, that their sin deserves the just penalty of hell, and there's just nothing that feels good about that. Um, I didn't feel good about the weight of my sin when I came to Christ, and I'm sure you didn't either. Uh, and right. I don't think any believer does. In fact, it, that's why it's, we refer to uh, godly sorrow. Right, yeah. um, sorrow is not a happy feeling, and and yet it's the most loving thing you could ever do. Uh, for a person is to tell them the truth of sin and the the punishment that that deserves and the truth of Christ's coming and what he accomplished on the the cross. And so that's how we judge whether or not something is truth in love. It, is it ultimate ultimately for this person's in this person's best interest? And if that's the case, then absolutely. It's truth in love. If we're striving to be obedient to Christ's teachings, by Christ's own words, that's a demonstration that we're walking in love. Um, you know, it's chapter five of Ephesians. Paul actually says just that: walk in love. Um, that's what. That's how we do it. You're walking in love if you're walking in such a way that you're striving to be obedient to God's word. Um, Ephesians 4.29, right? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such that is good for edification according to the need of the moment. That's that's how we speak lovingly. And sometimes those words are hard to hear. Um, But we're not basing it on the person's reaction. In fact, that is the the guarantee that you'll mistake uh, love for something else is to base whether or not you're being loving on the person's reaction, right? Christ was the most loving person that's ever walked the earth, and they hated him for it, right? They crucified him. Uh, They tortured him. Um, You can't get any more loving than Christ, right? And, of course, he tells us if they hated him that they'll hate uh, those who follow him as well. Um, You know, the one thing we haven't brought up yet, Eki, is – Tone. Tone. <laughs> yeah. You can't really talk mm-hmm. about this subject without addressing the issue of tone today. Um, you've got all kind of Christians walking around crying tone, tone. Um, if you say something, if you don't say it in the right tone, it's not loving, right? You're not walking in love. You're not speaking the truth in love unless your tone is right. Now, before we uh, got on th- this morning to record, I put a little poll up on Twitter. And let me just read the, the the results of that. We've got let's see. So at the moment there's 197 votes. So it's a, you know, fair amount of votes there. 
Um, and the question was just very simply this. How important is tone when determining if someone is speaking the truth in love? Okay. Option number one, tone is everything. So there's almost 200 votes. 24%. Mm. Tone is everything. So a quarter of the votes right now, people would say that truth is really dependent upon tone. That's a sad statistic. Um 27% say only somewhat important. Okay. Uh, 15% say not important at all. And the last option that I gave was important, but not necessary. 34% on that one. Mm. Interesting statistics. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. My mind goes to the Deacon Stephen, um, you know, the Deacon Stephen in, in Acts, uh, I want to say uh, chapters uh, five and six or no, six and seven. Um, he gives in chapter seven uh, just a, a brilliant um, exposition of the Old Testament and uh, and and the fact that uh, the the real temple of God is not created with human hands. But he ends it by really calling the, the the Jews to to account, saying that you have resisted the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that his tone there would have been uh, met by modern modern world judgment as being a, a loving tone. Um, but he was speaking the truth that they needed to hear. Now we know from First Peter chapter three verse fifteen um, that we we want to be prepared to give a defense always uh, for the hope that is within us, but we want to do it with gentleness and reverence. So certainly we don't want to be screaming at people, and and we do want to as much as possible um, have a have a, a good and an inviting tone. But the, but the tone does not make um, the, what, what you're sharing true or untrue. Uh, it, it's really just a matter of, of how we share it. And uh, de depending upon the circumstances, if you were to study the life of Christ, I think you will find that there were um, all kinds of situations where um, his tone uh, could be seen as what we would deem as very gentle and very kind. And other times, uh, the world would probably think his tone to be very unkind. I'm Matthew chapter 23, he's saying, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, right? Um, Paul in Galatians uh, chapter 1 talks about if anyone comes to you bringing a gospel that is contrary to what we have brought to you, let him or her be accursed. Um, so we recognize that there there is value in wanting to to be kind and reverent and and gentle when we're talking to people, um, but that is not uh, that that is not a substitute for the truth. It, it is a way that we we strive to be able to present the truth. Um, but there are certain situations, as we learn from the Apostle Paul and from the from the Lord Jesus Christ, where you know you have to call a spade a spade, and and a lot of times there are certain words and messages that you can share that it doesn't matter what the tone you you have, it's not going to be received well. Um, and so you you just have to put the message out there and then not not become uh, not turn the tone in, into your idol. Think about Jesus clearing the temple. Uh, I mean, when he made a, a you know the scourge of cords um, and, and just whipped people out, overturned tables. Um, I'm sure that he didn't have his indoor voice on, right? And and he wasn't speaking to people softly. But I mean, that was a zeal for for God's house. And and so there are times where we need to to be zealous. Uh, we need to speak firmly. We need to be, speak strongly. And you and I, we were both preachers. Um, we we both very much um, hold John MacArthur in high esteem, um, not not because of his status, but because of his example. And I, I think about what John MacArthur often has said that hard preaching produces soft hearts, soft preaching produces hard hearts. 
And that is very much true, having been at Grace Community Church and, and just seeing the, the Word of God working in people's lives and countless number of testimonies I've heard from people. Yes, tone, there, there is a, you know, we, we don't want to be completely irreverent of our tone. We want to seek to be uh, uh, peaceful. We want to be kind. We want to be reverent. But we also have to understand that we cannot sacrifice the truth on the altar of tone. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I, I would even argue that your tone is birthed out of your heart condition. And so, I, and so in that sense, I'd say, forget about your tone. You work on your heart and your tone will match the, 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 the situation, right? Um, and, and we, not only what we speak, but the way we speak comes from the heart, right? Yeah. So, y you focus on the heart, forget about this tone garbage, um, and, and the tone will be appropriate to the circumstance, um, if your if your heart is broken for the lost, when you're dealing with the lost, um, you will find yourself speaking the way you need to speak. Um, when you are confronting, a, you know, a, a, a heretic, a wolf, an apostate, and and your heart is right, you'll find yourself speaking the way you need to speak. Um, you, you, we trust God with those things. You work on your heart and your doctrine. Guard yourself and your doctrine closely and out of that right is is where the speaking comes from um jesus is again perfect example we see it in paul as well uh but i i mean l loving soft meek and mild humble jesus um took the time to fashion a whip now i've never made a whip so i don't yeah. know how much time it takes to make a whip but he had to take time out of his day to make a whip he had to get the materials okay we don't understand this right i mean didn't like uh, uh, just come out of nowhere he made it he had to find the materials get the materials purchase them or have someone do it for him and he sat down somewhere and he made this whip um the whole time having plenty of time to think about what he's doing and he goes into the temple and just like you said he's not using his indoor voice um you know being so gentle and and quiet as he's flipping over someone's you know money table um and, and so and yet uh, no one would say jesus ever operated outside of love yeah I mean, no Christian would say that. Yeah, exactly. Right. He he didn't he didn't stop and ask himself, well, how can I love my neighbor? Um, you know, should I take a poll? Should I should I plead with them? Um, each and every one of them. No, I I mean he he went to the extreme and drove them out. And in that case, he went to the extreme because they were in a place that was supposed to be devoted to worship. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that that is our central purpose. We are called to be worshipers of God. That's John chapter four. Mm -hmm. And and I, I like the point that you made, and you're absolutely right. Mark chapter seven talks about how um, out of the heart, um, our, our our words reflect what comes out of the heart. So as we work on the heart, and in the case of unbelievers, we should have a heart for unbelievers. We should have a heart that desires to bring them to Christ. We should have a heart that that recognizes that um, that they are dead in their, their trespasses and sins, and that we we are desperately in need of God to do a work in their heart so that they would respond rightly. So if we have the right heart towards the unbeliever, if we have the right heart towards God, the right heart heart towards the, the the church of god that the body of christ um then the situations will bring out uh, that the right kind of attitude um to, to 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 bear and in the case of the the temple um jesus christ was making a, a very strong point that this is to be a house of prayer a house of worship not a house of, for people to simply just make a profit 
Yeah, amen. And, it, you know, you go back to Ephesians and you want to talk about what it means to walk in love. Um, so, again, just a few verses before chapter five, before he says that, right? Paul says, be angry and yet do not sin. He's talking about righteous indignation. And, yeah. and so, to be loving, you have to have righteous indignation towards sin. Yeah. If you're comfortable with sin, you actually aren't walking in love. If you have no anger towards sin, towards uh, evil things in the world, you actually aren't walking in love. Uh, again, we just rarely ever hear uh, of these things. And so, ag- again, I, in reality, I think generally speaking, um, you're going to be the only one that can determine whether your tone is appropriate or not. Um, th- there are exceptions and, and and things like that, right? If you're just screaming and yelling at people, um, that's a different thing. Uh, but again, Jesus at the temple, but not only the temple. You mentioned the other times. I, I mean, he called the Pharisees sons of the devil. Yeah. Um, I, I just can't imagine. There's no indication of tone in most of the texts of Scripture. Some places we have a little bit more than others but no matter what it was um clearly their response uh indicated that they perceived it uh it, it right in in, right. in not a loving tone um it, their response was they wanted to kill him um again you know steven's response was that they did kill him that they stoned him um yeah. and so today we have this idea of and you know this really comes from pragmatism in the church we have this idea that if we say uh the, if we if we say the right thing the right way, um, soft enough, quiet enough, uh, that we'll get a different response from people, um, and that's just not the way we should ever approach the gospel, right? Um, ever, uh, we're not looking for the the response is up to God, and the gospel of God will reach and touch um, everyone whom God intends it to reach and touch. Our responsibility is to proclaim that gospel. Right. Yeah. Um, and pray that we would see many come to Christ. That's our responsibility. And so, what does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, primarily, it's rooted in our actions meant for the well being of others, which is rooted in the truth of God's word. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, yeah. It's not as complicated as our culture has made it. In fact, it's not complicated at all. Love God. Seek to be obedient to his word, and we love our neighbors primarily by the gospel proclamation, and we love one another in the body of Christ by speaking the truth in such a way that it will grow them and mature them in the faith. That's what it means. Yeah, Jesus Christ said to make disciples of all the nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Um, So we are in the business of disciple making. We want to make disciples, help bring people to a knowledge of Christ uh, that they would give their life over to Christ and become disciples and followers of Christ. Because between now and the second coming, and of course our hope is in the second coming of Christ that we can be in the presence of God forever. Um, Between now and then, the only thing that is eternal is the souls of men and women. And so while we live in a culture that seeks um, seeks to make an idol out of love your neighbor yes we do understand that loving your neighbor is one of the two great commandments but loving your neighbor is built upon the truth of god and so the best way that you can love your neighbor is not simply just to give into whatever they want you to give into and that's by the way that's exactly how that's being used today it's it's being used in a very pragmatic way to 
say let's uh, let's love our ma- neighbor by accommodating every kind of sin that uh, that they that they enjoy, every kind of lifestyle that they want to follow, um, every perversion of truth that they want to believe. But rather, um, and that's that that's just going to lead us away from the truth. But rather, we love our neighbor by sharing the truth, even if they don't welcome the truth. John chapter six verse sixty six. The majority of the disciples that had been walking with Jesus Christ walked away from Christ because they could not um, they they could not accept the things that Jesus Christ was saying and and that's a long chapter over 70 verses in there where jesus will would double down and triple down and repeat over and over again these same truths that they refuse to believe because that's exactly what they need to know in order to come to him yeah you know it's interesting the only time that god has ever approved or given people over to their own ideas has been as a sign of judgment against their wickedness. Yeah. And so we really condemn people in our own actions when we justify their wickedness. And the truth is we don't get that right. That's God's right to do. And and so when we're agreeing with all of these different lifestyles and things like that, what we're really doing, is, again, uh, is when God does those things you know, just go to romans right when god does those things it's as a sign of judgment uh, no. because of utter sinfulness right. i mean I, imagine if jonah would have you know um g- given into the, the the ninevites their their ways of living i mean god would have well he did try to right and yeah, it's interesting right. the reason jonah did not mm-hmm. want to oppose their wicked ways was it's because of, God. <laughs> of the love and graciousness of God. Yeah. Because he knew, right. right? God was a merciful God. And so, again, the greatest act of love and mercy that we can do to an unbelieving, sin sick world is to preach the very message they'll hate the gospel of Christ. That's the most loving thing we can do. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and think about and, and you think about that example of uh, Deacon of the the, the Deacon Stephen. Um, he gave a hard message; it caused them to stone him. But what did he say as he was being stoned to death? He looked up to the heaven, saw Jesus Christ, and, and he said, "said Father, please f- forgive them of their sin, or do not hold this sin against them." And the only way that God could do that was to save them. And and who was there? But Saul, right? Saul, who would be saved by God, uh, converted. Yeah. So, so for uh, the deacon Stephen, he knew that the message was not. He could see it. Obviously, he was experiencing that the message was not well received. But he was praying that the message would be used to sow seeds of conviction in their hearts that they would uh, repent. And I've got the Jonah verse right in front of me. Verse two. He prayed to the Lord and said. Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness and one who relents Mm -hmm. concerning calamity. He was actually angry at God because God... Um, God brought the message to them through Jonah, and they repented, and God was able to relent from the judgment um, that, uh, that, that Jonah was sent to warn them about. So, in essence, he was angry because they saved the Ninevites. Yeah, uh, but this is exactly wow. the the real love of God that He wanted the message to be heard so that they would repent. And the deacon Stephen preached so that they would repent, including the apostle mm-hmm. Paul. Yeah, Amen. So, if you hate people 
agree uh, with their sin and turn a blind eye. If you want to speak the truth in love, call people to repent of their sin um, and encourage your brothers and sisters to uh, doctrinal soundness and you'll be walking in love. Work on your heart. Forget about tone because out of the abundance of the mouth, uh, that come, uh, the mouth speaks out of the, out of the heart. So work on your heart. And the way you work on your heart is to be plugged into a faithful Bible believing Bible teaching local church, be in the word of God, be in prayer, strive for obedience. Um, and when the time comes for you to address these issues, trust the Holy Spirit to work in you because, you know, you've been being obedient and the tone will be what it needs to be for the most part. So speak in love, speak the truth in love and let the truth be known. Hope this has been helpful for you. You can find our contact details in the show notes. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.